welcome back. This is Balancing Chaos, and normally I'd say with, and Kelly would say Kelly, and then I'd say Gretchen, except for because we are all balancing chaos, Kelly at the very last minute could not make it to our recording, so it's with Sarah Smiley and Gretchen. So this is our guest for today, who is Sarah Smiley, who is an author. She has written a book called Dinner with the Smileys and one called Got Here As Soon As I Could, and both are awesome books. I have both, and actually I was the first person to get a signed copy of Dinner with the Smileys. Were you really? I don't know if you remember that, but I was downtown, and I was at Briar Patch picking something up, and your books had just come in, and I was like, oh, I want to buy that. And you said, oh, this is the first book I've gotten to sign. I don't remember that. Oh my gosh, that is so yeah, cool. Yeah, it's so... Uh, so yeah, so it's an incredibly valuable copy. So it was like have, the day before it came out? Yeah, something like that. It was something weird that I happened to be in the store and you were in the store and he had just gotten his shipment. And I said, oh, I want to buy that. And you were there. I'm like, I get it signed. And you and like you said, oh, this is the first time I get to sign this book. So it was, I thought it was so cool. So that's that. my little piece of trivia for my Sarah Smiley <laughs> book collection. Um so we are going to be talking with her about free-range kids, and there's something that we both feel pretty passionately about. Mm. So, Sarah, do you want to introduce yourself beyond what I've said? Um, so I have three boys who now, well, it feels like I have one little boy and two young men, it seems like, lately. Yeah, you um, do. Yeah. They're <laughs> 17, 15, and about to turn 11. So I don't have little, little boys anymore, like I've always said. It, my bio used to always say she's the mother of three young boys. And lately I've been going through online and trying to change all those bios and say just three boys. <laughs> I have found that because I have said um, this time of year I have all of my packages shipped to work. And so it seems like every year there's a new mailroom person who's giving me the side eye when I have like five shipment notifications. And so I just say, oh... I have little kids and a little house. So my I call my office Santa's Workshop at this mm-hmm, time of year. Mm-hmm. So it, everything comes to my office and it stays there until I leave for Christmas break. So I was talking to someone. I was like, yeah, I have little kids. And I left and I was like, I don't think I can say that anymore because they're not that big little. Kids. They're kind of big kids. It's kind of a weird transition, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, totally. And, and then to imagine one of my friends was looking at um, my best friend, actually. She has three boys, too, who are, oh, God. Uh, 23, 18, and 16. And so she was talking about moving or finding a second house so they can work from home and doing all that. And so I was like, oh, but what about school? Oh, no, you don't have to worry about school soon. Mm-hmm. So it was like, oh, that's so it's so weird because her kids are like a generation further ahead, ahead than years, mine. Yeah. So when Mine was when mine first, when my oldest started school, her oldest was graduating from high school. Mm-hmm. So we've always been in different seasons as far as our, as far as our kids go. But yeah, yeah, you got, you have big kids. And what is it that I, I feel like, I forget what I used to call you, but I will text Sarah for advice as they progress through school. And so she's sort of the pioneer of the schools for me. I'll be like, hey, <laughs> yeah. so I'll be like, are we supposed to call to pick them up or can we just pick them up or do they need a note for this? And so I will text Sarah with my questions about school stuff because she's gone ahead of me. She's the only one I know that has been ahead of me that I can get that information from. And you always have great memory, which testament to that is remembering <laughs> about the book. Um, but also you always have such detailed memory of my books, I remember. Like you you would text me, you had names for the boys. Yes. Uh, the photo bomber, the yeah. old soul, and the politician. Yeah. And you can probably know exactly who yeah, I mean for yes. each of them, right? Yeah. But but and even when I even when I see what you write about them now and I know which one you're talking about, I can usually tell in your columns. I'll be like, oh, yeah, it's still holding true to that. So (laughs) and her boys are awesome. They we had a little welcome to the neighborhood for a new neighbor a couple weeks ago, and they were didn't seem to be at all phased by the Mm -hmm. influx of little kids. Actually, at that, I was thinking, I bet Sarah totally has forgotten what it's like to have this many little kids. I did, yes. (laughs) Well, you just forget the things that are around your house that little kids will get into. You know, I felt so bad for that that risk game. Like they they just were like, oh, look at all these army guys, and they totally destroyed. They weren't playing it anymore, though. (laughs) Well, good. Well, they just they just cleared the map they can start again with a new world order but it was i was like i don't (laughs) think she knew what she was getting into and she said no bring your kids but it was great and it was actually a great little meet and greet and if you saw it it worked out that the family that we met it made the transition for her daughter a little easier to have Mm -hmm. met my daughter beforehand so i was glad that you did so thank you for hosting that that was a really good thing um so because sarah has gone ahead of me and is a little bit ahead of me in the parenting game Mm -hmm. We have often shared ideas on the free-range kids thing. So do you want to give a talk? You talk a little bit about your thoughts on independence. Yeah, it seems like 
that a lot of the statistics show that there's never been a time in history when it's been a better time to be a child. Healthcare is better, you know, the level of healthcare, um, infant mortality, uh, and, and also, surprisingly, kidnappings are fewer now than they were in the 1950s. And yet at that same time, fear of parents has been growing. So while the dangers of being a child have been going down, the fear of parents has been going up. And as someone who is a journalist and teaches journalism at the universities, I always wonder why, why has that happened? And is it your fault, journalism? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do think that the immediacy of news and just the saturation of news in the 1950s, if a child was abducted from a neighborhood, unless you lived within a hundred mile radius in the newspaper distribution area of that neighborhood, you probably didn't know about it unless it was a high profile case. And, And then you would only know about it for a five minute segment on the evening news. But now if a child is abducted in Ohio or Indiana, wherever, it's in all of our newspapers and it's on the nightly news and it's on the 24 hour news cycle. And and they'll even, the news will develop their own intro music and graphics to when they're going to switch and talk about that news case. So I think just the, the amount of exposure we have to it has made us overestimate how um, frequent it is. And now we think kidnappings are more common than they were when they actually were common in the 1950s. Um, and I 100% agree with you. The, have you seen the recent ones? And I think that you are you follow Lenora Skenazy, who mm. is the, the free-range mom and the world's worst mom, or the yeah. worst mom in America, whatever she was called. Um, and she posts about these things of, my baby was almost human trafficked out of an Ikea, or whatever. Mm. And those stories, I'm like, someone looked at your baby. Yes. That was it. Like, people look at babies, and that's how it is. And no, you weren't human trafficked. And how can you extrapolate all of this? Have you ever been in in an Ikea? Mm -hmm. It's like a little city. It's like a little city. And they make you, it's like a casino where you're forced to walk through it to Mm -hmm. do anything. So you are all on the same path. Mm -hmm. And so if there is somebody following you, yes. And there's someone following him, and there's someone following her. (laughs) And there's a whole chain of people following each other. And so there's this whole paranoia that my child is clearly the target of something. So she posted one too recently where an old man, I think it was in Australia, an old man had said hello to a little boy in a shopping cart at the grocery store. I may be getting all the details wrong. But anyways, the mom called the police about it being suspicious activity. And so the police went to the old man's house and oh and questioned him. And so the old man's daughter came and put a sign at the supermarket and said to the woman who called the cops on my dad and she's you know and and Lenore had put up the the sign that was a picture had been taken of it and it basically said you know my dad's an old man he likes to say hi to kids it brought him so much joy to see your son at the grocery store he had no bad intent but I do think that we've just gone I think it people are afraid now that something's going to be misconstrued or you know it's or you just can't say hi well and even so one of the things that happened that i feel like is related to this is the one time that i ever had a kid run out of run away from me in a store and it was the it was the strangest thing but it was when i was pregnant and ingrid was three and a half it was around christmas time so it here it will be dark sunset is before 4 p.m. where we live and so we were there after work and she was like she would peek around the aisle and peek back and laugh and peek back and laugh and it was fine and all of a sudden she didn't peek back and I was like where'd she go and so I looked around I went down the next aisle and she wasn't there and I went to the next aisle and my concern was not at all that she'd been kidnapped I was like where did she go because Mm -hmm. she has to be here and so I'm looking around kind of frantically at this point and this one goes are you looking for a little girl and she and I said yes and she said she went towards the front of the store and so I looked at the front of the store and I was in AC Moore which is a craft store and I looked around and I'm like she's totally safe in this store the store is filled with grandmothers she's not safe outside <laughs> yeah. the store so I'm leaving and I'm gonna work my way back in and so I went out of the store and to leave the store you have to go through like two sets of sliding doors through the like cash registers and I went out and there she was and it's dark and she's running down the middle of the dark parking lot. Oh my gosh. Right? And I was like, it, I still have like residual sort of anxiety when I'm in that parking lot because yeah. it was like, it's dark. She had, she usually wore uh, an orange coat at that time. She had peeled it off and she was in navy blue so you could hardly see her. 
But when we had parked, we had walked by. And the other thing about a craft store is that while it's filled with grandmothers, the parking lot is filled with their husbands waiting for them. <laughs> and so a guy, when we had walked in, this guy had seen us walking in. I noticed him and I saw him starting to get out of his car. And I know that he was like, I know without a doubt that he was getting out of his car because he was thinking that child is not with her mother. I saw them go in. I only seen one come out. Something's wrong. I, you know, and I caught up with her and he was like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm going to kill her after I hug her. (laughs) And he kind of laughed because he was obviously like, it's just a good guy. But I was surprised that none of those grandmothers stopped a little kid from running out of the door oh, yeah. because like not in that little entrance area with all that stuff like why wouldn't you pause there and be like this little maybe I should stop right. and literally the next week we had the same experience happen at Toys R Us only it wasn't our kid another kid started running out of the doors and I stood in front of the doors and I was like no you can't go out <laughs> no yeah. and I'm like arrest me for kidnapping <laughs> you know false arrest I don't care what you do but I'm not letting you out of this store into the Toys R Us parking lot after dark until mm-hmm. you're with your parent mm-hmm. and, and the parent came out and rang oh I'm so glad I'm like nope no worries like it was almost poetic how I literally had the chance the next week to, to do to step in because and I but I think that part of that fear of being a kidnapper and a human trafficker might have stopped people from like well I don't want to be the one to stop her I don't want to be the one. I'm sure they'll be there. And in the end, when I actually caught up with Ingrid, she was burning up. She ended up having like 103 fever. So I think she was like just sick and hallucinating because it was so out of character for her. She had never done it before. She never did it again. But the one time she did it is burned into my psyche forever. Well, can you imagine now with the with the way that parents are thinking about all of these things? Can you imagine now that um, if, if a parent, if a child was running out, and a grandmother or grandfather went and grabbed that little kid's hand and was walking him through the store holding hands and got oh. to the mother, the mother would be like, you're touching my child, you're holding their hand. Right. You know? And it's like... Well, even then, I didn't grab the kid's hand. I just blocked the door. Like, yeah. no, not yeah. leaving. You're done. Yeah. We're going to stand here until someone comes and finds you, but I'm not letting you out. There was actually another time I was climbing the stairs of the Children's Museum and this little kid was running at full speed towards the stairs with his head turned back like he was running away from someone he's being chased and so he was looking back at the person chasing Mm. him and I'm at the top of the stairs and he just I like instinctively reached up and just grabbed him and then the mom came around the corner and she looked at me kind of I'm like mother's instinct I'm sorry I didn't (laughs) let him throw himself off the balcony but I had to stop him like here you go I, I think she was okay with it I think she was a little like startled to see somebody touching her child but I was kind of like did you see him running towards me because he was running (laughs) and I'm glad I was here yeah but uh I you know I I it's also easier for women to intervene Mm -hmm. than it is for men to intervene and I'm sure that some of those people who post I'm sure that you know if that AC Moore incident happened now it's gonna be like my child ran away escaped and then a human trafficker happened to be in the parking lot (laughs) and you know and those stories that when people you know, when they, when they, I guess you say exaggerate, when they've blown things out of proportion like that, then they circulate on social media and, and that just adds to people's collective sense of things aren't safe. And mm-hmm. so I know one of the things you and I talk about a lot is letting your kids play outside alone. Oh yeah. And I one time wrote a column and it was about people speeding down the street, down resident. It was supposed to be a column about that. Let, let neighbors take the roads back. Like you should right. not be going 40 miles an hour down a neighborhood street. Um, neighborhood street should be for kids to be outside playing, playing basketball, riding bikes, doing whatever. So that's what I was writing about. But it was obvious from the column, if you were reading between the lines, that I was inside the house when this, when I was writing about my kids almost getting hit by a car while they were riding their bikes. I was inside the house and they were outside and they were much younger then. Um, and someone said that they wanted to call Child Protective Services because I was not outside watching my children ride their bikes. And so I had to write a follow-up column after that and say <laughs> that wasn't even what the column was about. But by the way, what's happened when when I was a kid to let your kids stay inside and play Atari was considered a bad parent. Like your kids right. should be outside building skateboard ramps, riding their bikes, and, and the mom is nowhere near. But now just, you know, 30, 40 years later, it's become if your kids aren't inside glued to your hip, then you're a bad parent. So I don't, that switch has happened, you know, right. and it's... One of the things that bothers me about it is that, especially the demands that it puts on moms, because (laughs) 
I'm supposed to have, society says I'm supposed to have a rewarding career. I'm supposed to be a good wife. And I'm supposed to, according to Martha Stewart magazines, have, you know, a beautiful home and make dinners and do all of these things. And I have to be my children's companion every moment of the day that they're home. And if they're outside, I have to have my eyes glued to them. And I just don't, we can't do it all. No. And our moms, they, they used to say, I've got stuff to do. Go outside and play. I'm yeah. going to fold laundry. You go outside and play. But now it's like we have to say, wait till I'm done folding the laundry and then we will go outside. Right. And that bothers me. And I've never done it with my kids. I've always, you know, just go, go outside. And and it's hard because not everybody around us has. And I say us like meaning parents who believe think that way, who think their kids should still go outside unsupervised, ride their bikes to school, walk to school are sometimes surrounded by people who don't believe the same. And so they're <laughs> criticized. And also, when we were kids, there was a whole gang of people going to the park, going to the pool. So there was safety in numbers. And now it's 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 become the kids whose parents let them go outside alone. They're like the only ones out there. Yes. When it would actually be safer if everybody just let their kids go out. Yes. And I, I have made that argument. And I know that I know that I get side eye from some of my kids' peers parents because I have very early on, Ingrid was in third grade when I let her ride her bike on her own in the neighborhood. And and it was it was a nice because at that time the um there was construction, so this one street was a dead end. And it was a perfect opportunity. It was like ride your bike to the end of the street and back and I'll be here. And I remember I was kind of getting a little nervous, like, is that taking too long? It seems like it's taken a while, but she was stopping at every street and every driveway. Yeah. She was being so cautious. But while I was waiting, the thing that struck me is that while I was waiting for her to come back, I think I saw three people who I could not tell you their name. I don't know their names, but they're the neighborhood walkers and they're walking their dogs or their whatever. And so and they saw me sitting there like and one stopped and said, was that your daughter on her bike? That was your daughter on her bike. Right. And I was like, yeah. And I and she said, I love seeing kids out on their own on a bike. And and um. And I said, oh, good. She's like, yeah, she's doing great. She was stopping. And she t- she's the one who told me that she was stopping in every street. So even though even though I wasn't there keeping my eyes on her, then and the reason why the neighbors knew who she was was because she has not spent her childhood inside playing Atari. Mm-hmm. She's out in the front yard. They do chalk drawings and they ride bikes and make we live on a super quiet street. So we can actually use the street as a playground a lot. So she's been seen out there, even at the most at the recent innovative neighborhoods. And I went to one meeting and there was another woman who was like, oh, your girls are getting so big. And I was like, who are you? <laughs> and I did not for once think she was human trafficking my children. <laughs> but it was just she walks and then finally said, oh, I walk my dogs by every day. And then it clicked. Oh, you're the one with the two dogs. And she's just watched our kids grow up in the front yard. So she knows who they are. So I've even told my kids, I'm like, look, if something happened, those are the people that would be like, you know what? I know where you live. I know where your mom is. I can help you, you know, and trying to trust that. And it's important for the kids to understand they can trust the neighborhood. I mean, you and I have talked before. I remember when I saw your oldest son driving for the first time. And I was like, oh, my God, he's behind a wheel. But I guess he's old enough to do that. He hasn't stolen a car. But um, and you've mentioned before, like you've seen Ingrid walking home from school or whatever. And same thing. If you saw somebody approach her, saw somebody, you know, shaking her upside down for lunch money. I feel like you would stop and be like, hey, are you okay? Right. You know, and learning to be independent, but also part of the independence in a neighborhood like ours also comes from that collective safety net of knowing that we're all watching out for each other's kids no matter what. Mm -hmm. And people say that the neighborhood, the neighborhood parks around here used to be full of kids, like that that was where they met up and they had fun. And it's hard now because sometimes my kids will go to the park and then they'll come back and they'll say there's nobody there. I'm like, how could there be nobody there? It's a beautiful day. And you were saying how someone said, is that your daughter on the bike? Could you imagine the 70s and 80s? Someone saying, is that your kid on the bike? I love seeing kids on bikes. Right. Like it was like a a novelty, you know, (laughs) I mean, they like we didn't think about it back then because everybody did that. And it, it really worries me how we're just we're we're kind of and especially worries me if you read the studies about little boys that they they have to take risks like you know that yeah. they say that boys have to take small risk when they're little like climbing up a tree and falling and yes maybe breaking their arm to not take bigger risks when they're older drinking and driving or driving right. too fast or 
popping wheelies or whatever, all that other stuff that they would do, you know? Um, and it concerns me how we're kind of raising kids in these risk-free environments and then sending them out into the world. Have they climbed the tree at um, Hayford Park? Which one's Hayford? The, by the pool. There's the an pool. amazing... Probably. There, like, Probably. there's an amazing... Uh, I don't know if Will has done it yet, but Ingrid's done it several times. And the first time she climbed the tree, if they ever cut down that tree, I will weep because yeah. I think they've left it because it's such a perfect climbing tree. Honestly... I don't know how you could even fall out of it because of the way the branches are all interwoven. Like, it's just a great climbing structure. Um, and the first time she climbed that, she was super proud of herself. And yeah. and I'm big on them taking risks. But you and I also, so you work in higher ed as well. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I definitely see the impacts on the lack of risk taking in childhood showing up when they first get to spread their wings mm-hmm. in college, when they first come to college. Um I know, like, I would, you know, and part of it is not just the, so part of it is the risk-taking, and I encourage my kids to take, like, my kids are skiers, and and it, like, I have to sometimes look away, because it does get into that mom, like, protective thing. Does that happen with you, too? Mm-hmm. But I also, but I'm also, my my intellectual, logical brain is like, she's probably going to be fine. The statistics are she's going to be fine. I do make sure that they wear helmets. Yeah. Um, and she knows how to ski. She knows how to take good risks. She's not, you know, she's not wild on skis. And there's sometimes I just have to look away and be like, okay, she's going to be fine. People do this all the time. It's going to be to- chairlifts. Never, bo- I loved chairlifts as a kid. They never bothered oh, me I until I had them. a kid. Heights never bothered <laughs> me until I had children. Yeah. Truly. And now it's like when I ride a chairlift with them, I literally have to just look straight ahead because it, it, it totally gets that anxiety yeah. up. But then I'm like, kids really don't fall off chairlifts. And if they do, it's because they're horsing around. And most of the, and they don't really, most of the time, nothing bad happens. They just get on the news for being stupid. Right. So, so pushing them to take those risks and allowing them to take those risks does take a bit of, of risk taking on the parents part of being like, okay, I'm going to be okay with this risk. And I'm taking the risk of being totally freaked out by letting them do it. But then the skills that they get from doing that is so much more important that or when they get to college, that yeah. when they their first risk isn't see how much you can drink, right? And then what see what happens after that, yes, you yeah. know. Well, my husband actually he was run over by a car, we've known each other since we were little kids, and he was <laughs> run over by a car in our neighborhood when he was three years old because he was riding a big wheel and he was riding it down the sidewalk in, in San Diego. And the sidewalks would dip down into a driveway and then come oh, back yeah. up, you know, so he was doing that whole thing. Um, and when he went down in the dip of a driveway, a lady backed out who had been known for running over, backing over trash cans. Oh, I thought you were going to say backing over children. No, I'm no, like... trash cans. And so she told one of her sons, she said, I, I hit the trash can. Can you go get it out? And he went out and he yelled back to his mom. He said, it's not the trash can, it's the neighbor. And oh that was God. that was Dustin. And he got burns and he had to like... Um, he had to have that, you know, where they look to make sure there's no internal bleeding and everything. And I remember when I was a little kid, we took him coloring books because he was like homebound because of the burning on his face and stuff. And so Dustin has a very healthy fear of um, bikes and, uh, and and what can happen to kids in the street, which I never had anything close to that. My right. dad, my dad used to pull me on a sled behind his pickup truck in Virginia. <laughs> um, so I never had anybody that got run over by a car. So it, it doesn't cross my mind probably as much as it does him but he's very cognizant of you know being very careful about when the kids are on bikes and and when they wanted big wheels he was like no no he said that's what i got run over on and i had to tell him um and usually he's not like that he's a, he right. but it's just from his experience um but i had to say you have to let them like he's a navy wheels. pilot i know he's a navy pilot about the big wheel yeah, yeah. yeah. But I get I mean, I totally get right. it. But uh, but I said, we have to let them get the big wheels. You just have to teach them how to be safe. You know, yeah. that when they go into that dip part of a driveway, that they've got to look and make sure that's the dangerous part, you know, where a mm-hmm. car might be backing out. And I said, as long as you give them those skills, then they can ride a big wheel. Yeah. But I'm afraid that we're taking things away. Like a kid falls off of monkey bars at a school and the school says, we're taking those down. Right. You know, a kid falls off a swing and they say, we're taking those down. And there is some risk to being a child. There was, so when, when Ingrid first started at the four or five school, I got a call right at the beginning of the school year of, from the, now Ingrid uh, 
fell or and I forget how they word it fell on the zip line and she's fine she's totally fine she can stay in school but just want to let you know that she you know there is a there is a red mark on her there was this rope the way it was they had tied a rope to the zip line to be able to pass it back and forth but she's okay but just want to let you know and I got a call from the nurse and I got three calls from the principal and finally I and I was teaching or whatever and I finally called back I was like look I kind of expect my kids to get hurt when they play sometimes. So I'm okay. Like, it's fine. If she's okay at school, then great. Well, when she actually came home, the way the rope had... She had a rope burn, but it was around her neck, and it looked like her throat had been slashed. I was like, oh, I see why you were calling me, because you didn't want her to come home with this giant throat slash. (laughs) And she she was like, mom, the principal came into every one of my classes just to make sure I was okay. And I was like, well, you were... I, I can see... Like, I was like, okay, I can see how you call, but also I tried to set up, like, Okay, so she got hurt playing. Like, are you going to call me every time she falls? Because trust me, that will be a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't need to call every time she falls. But it it made sense in context. But at the time, I was like, if you're not getting hurt, then you're not playing. I used to always say, too, never trust a tidy toddler. Yeah. When I see these perfect magazine-style <laughs> yeah. toddlers, I'm like, something mm-hmm. happened. You were watching too much TV because you should have stuff on your fingernails. You have stuff <laughs> in your pockets. You yeah. should be messy. And, and having girls... I was very clear with all of their daycare providers, like whatever she she can do, whatever she wants with whatever she wears in. There are no special dresses. Don't tell her to not do something because of what she is wearing. If Mm -hmm. she's wearing it, it means I don't care if it comes home in tatters and stained from the top to the bottom. I want her to play and not be held back because of what she's wearing. But I also wanted her to have the independence of choosing her own outfit. So I'm like, it's a dress. Yeah. And there's, you know, I'm not going to send her in an heirloom gown to preschool if I don't expect it to get ruined. So most of their clothes had paint stains on them and things like that. So I, I was very... No, this is part of the experience is to participate and be in there and doing it. Yeah. Um, one. Th- have you ever read uh, The Gift of Failure? No, I think, Jessica you've Leahy. Recommended, I think you've recommended you have that to, read to me it. before. Yes. Yeah. That one is, is related to the, so part of the free range kids things. What are some of, well, let me go back. What are some of the things that you have, have what have you explicitly taught your kids to make sure that they are safe when they're out playing? Oh, gosh. Good question. I mean, we've done a lot of the, you know, when you're riding a bike. Um, my oldest son, for a while, got into this habit. I didn't realize it at first, but he was riding his bike around the neighborhood with earphones in, listening to, like, um, podcasts. And uh, <laughs> he was. Of course, I, I know I don't doubt that it was <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> and... He, and when I first realized that was what he was doing, I didn't know because I wasn't, I was working and stuff, and, and yeah. but I got our phone bill. And our data plan was, like, <laughs> off the charts. And I was like, what is going on? Who is using data when they're not in the Wi-Fi area? And then he said, oh, do you think it's from when I ride my bike and I listen to these podcasts? <laughs> yes. Um, but so then I figured out what he was doing. And then I said, wait, are you riding your bike with earphones in? And so we had, I had to talk about, you know, that's not a good idea. You can't hear yeah. cars coming. You can't hear people on the sidewalk telling you to move. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, it's just, it, I feel like you can't, you can't anticipate everything that's going to happen. So, I mean, he was like 13 when that happened. And right. I just, I had never thought that I had to sit him down and say, don't wear headphones when you ride a bike. Right. kind of thought it would occur to him. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but, you know, things just keep popping up, it seems. One time I came home and they were on the roof, on the one story roof part of our house. <laughs> and they, they were trying to get snow off the roof, which was even worse because, you know, you slip off the roof. Um, but I... You know, I'd never had that conversation about don't get on the roof. (laughs) And they did. And then luckily I got there in time because they were going to jump. Well, one of them was going to jump off the roof onto like, because it was that year we had just a horrific snowstorm. So the truly it would have probably been okay because the snow line had almost come up to the roof anyways. Our windows were completely covered. Um, But there was furniture underneath that snow, outdoor furniture that they would have hit. Uh, so yeah, it seems like there's always things popping up that I'm like, oh, I, and now with him, with one of them driving, the next one's going to learn to drive this year, this spring. Um, and then that's a whole new set of things, you know, but, but with the driving, there's much more, it seems like when they're little kids, there's things that pop up that you had no idea, you know, right. about, about, to talk to them about. And then, but with the driving, there's, there's been such good education about that. And, uh, you know, obviously he had to learn on a, um, stick, a standard, which was kind of strategic on my part. I think it's a brilliant idea. Because you can't text when you're doing stick no. shift. 
You can't. He wouldn't anyways. But, I mean, he, he would not ever. Uh, he, he actually, he goes like 25 in the 30 mile an hour lane. <laughs> it's still, and I'm like, you can go a little faster. Um, but, so, uh, but I, I thought that, you know, if their hands are busy doing the shift, then they can't text. And it's also, that's, um, Dave had a stick up until a couple of years ago, and the one of the memes that goes around is this is my anti-theft device because yeah. so many people don't know how to drive stick. Exactly. So when I was growing up, before I could, um, when I got my driver's license, I was allowed to use our truck, which was a stick, but I had to learn, it made me have to learn how to drive stick. And obviously texting was not an issue in the 90s, the very early 90s, but I also had to know how to change a tire. I had to know how to use uh, jumper cables. I had to know how to do like ch- like pump my own gas, change my like all of these things so that it wasn't. And I am I am shocked at the people who don't know how to drive stick or mm-hmm. don't know how to do these basic things. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's something that I plan on doing for when these girls go through. Like I don't I want you especially maybe especially because they're girls. I want to make sure that you are able to be a self-rescuing princess. Yes. That you're never in a position where you say, I can't leave because I can't drive that car. Right. And that's exactly it. And so where I grew up, we had like pit parties where it's out in the middle of the woods and very rural. And everyone loved that I had a truck because I could fit everyone in the back. And I didn't even, I didn't drink at those parties or anything. I was actually known for being the one who would make sure you got home safe. Mm -hmm. So... And I remember I would take, there was one guy who, I took him and his dirt bike and like 10 people home because I drove a pickup truck. So, but I knew how to drive stick. And then there so many people, even in a rural area who didn't know how to drive stick, it was always yeah. like, you know, I don't drive it very often, but it is muscle memory. It comes back when you yeah. get in there. <laughs> I know that one of the things that I did with, with Ingrid is that when she started walking home from school and stuff like that, the... Um, at the four or five, which is really close, I just kind of pointed out. I was like, you know, you know people on every yes. one of these streets. And if there's ever a situation, if you ever feel like you're in a weird situation, just go into the go into the K3 school and be like, I'm going to hang out here for a minute because something's weird is, I feel like something's weird happening. Or go, you can go to their house, you can go to this house. There's a hair salon. I'm like, if you walked in there and said, somebody keeps following me, can I call my mom? They would let you call me. They yeah. could go in there and do that. And we did the same thing for middle school, which is much farther away. Um, and she has a phone now. But I said, even if, if something is really making you uncomfortable and you want to call me, go into the children's Horror consignment store. shop yeah. and go in and be like, I'd like to call my mom. Can I do it from in here? I said, there is nobody. None of these businesses in this area are going to not let you come in. Right and whip out your phone to give me a call and hang out until someone could come and get you. And she's never had to call me, but I've had her do that. I've even given her money and said, hey, here's 10 bucks. Can you pick up something at this store on the way home? And forced her to interact with people Mm -hmm. who she doesn't know. And so she'll come home and she'll have picked out the whoopie pies. And I'll say, oh, how was it? How was the owner? Who was it that waited? Was it a man or a woman? Did they make you feel okay? Like, did they seem creepy? No? Okay. It really is she's very shy so it's a real stretch for her to do that my other daughter will probably be like take ten dollars and charm someone into giving her another ten so she can get more (laughs) whippy pies but there was one time when we were at a a store and there was an older woman looking at books and she was looking at books that i had and she was like a grandmotherly type and so i said oh how old are you looking for and i had this conversation with this woman about the books and gave her some recommendations and wandered off and Ingrid was just like how do you do that? I'm like, how do I do what? She's like, how do you just talk to strangers like that? <laughs> and I was like, well, I didn't get a creepy vibe from her. I felt like I could help her. And she obviously had the same reaction back that she knew I wasn't being a creep asking her about books. And you have to listen to that gut instinct. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's a big part. And I don't know if I talk about it pretty explicitly because of my favorite book about child safety, which is Protecting the Gift oh, by I Gavin DeBecker. Oh, my God. It's so good. And it talks about under le- learning to listen to that gut instinct yeah. and learning to trust your intuition and read the situation and read the scene so that you can be safe. And and that takes practice. And it's like you have to exercise and that's that what he feeling. Says, yeah. yeah. And uh, one of the things I wanted to say, too, was that the gift of being bored also. like yeah. So a lot of times when I talk to parents about this, they say, well, my kids are very busy after school. They go to Taekwondo and they go to baseball and they go to basketball and they, tell, they list off all these things their kids do. And I'm thinking... At all of those events, you're sitting along the wall, probably. You know, I mean, you're always there. Yeah. And kids need some time that there is no mom there. You know, that they're like upstairs or they're outside or they're at their friend's house or they're at the park and there's no coach, there's no mom, there's nobody telling them what to do. Yeah. They're figuring it out on their own. 
And then sometimes they come to you and they say, I'm bored, you know? (laughs) And I love it when my kids say that because I think it's good to feel bored because then that's when you do, that's when you're like on the verge of doing something really creative. Right. And I like that my kids have times that they say that they're bored because that means we're not overscheduled. We're not overactivityed. Yeah. It's a word. (laughs) I made up a word. Um, and when they say, I'm bored, the youngest says it the most now. The other <laughs> are always like on their phones or video games or whatever. But um, the other day he was saying he was bored and um, he started throwing out ideas of things he could do. And then he decided he was going to create a board game. So he's been like the last couple of days designing his own board game. Yep. Never would have happened if he had been shuffling back and forth to different things right. and if he hadn't had that moment of being bored. Do you have any boundaries on the activity, on, on like how much activities and... I don't really, I think just because of the way I've always been, they kind of limit themselves. Yeah. They, they like having time at home. Um, so they generally only are, been, well, now the older ones have gotten involved in a lot more as they've gotten older. But mm-hmm. the youngest one is usually involved in just one or two things yep. each quarter. Yeah. Mine, so mine, we basically limit it to you can pick one thing. Mm-hmm. And so mine, um, and then with the exception of, and this is actually like one of the safety things is, they do swimming in the fall and Ingrid is like has become an amazingly strong swimmer but my because we spend we live in Maine there are so many lakes and beaches and I want kind of like driving stick I want them to be self-rescuing swimmers as well so we do that for like eight weeks in the fall and usually in the spring but you can do one sport at a time you can do or one activity so one does field hockey and one does um, a musical program and that's it. And the field hockey is like five days a week, but it's also the five days a week that I'm working and mm-hmm. it ends right when I get out of work. So it actually worked out nice to yeah. not have too much, too much at home, totally alone time. Uh, so that worked out very well. And then they do. And when swimming ends, they do skiing. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of part of the plan. But it's not the this, 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 this. It's, you know, we're not running everywhere. Some nights, Tuesdays are are the busiest night because they're both they each have their thing at the same time. So that's yeah. the busiest night, but it's not the well, 17 sports and 17 clubs and 17 activities. Yeah. And-, and sometimes when I say that, I get criticized, actually. You raise a good point. So I get criticized when I say that sometimes because people say, well, you have the luxury of a job where I can be home when they get home, you know, and yeah. I can I can go to the grocery store and I can make dinner. Like, I'm very flexible with my right. job. And I understand that there's some mothers out there that their kids have to go to activities every day because they're working and they're not going to be home until five or six. So I totally get that. Um, But I just don't like it when parents use that busyness to say, my kids, my kids are free range, you know, like they're involved in all these things. Right, right, right. And that's not it. Like, you know, that's that's (laughs) not, that's, that's just more structured time. Right. And so I, you know, I understand that some people that their kids are busy out of necessity, but um, but I think it's important to find times like weekends, whatever evenings, where there's just nothing planned for them that they have to figure it out on their own. Yeah, they do. Well, if you look like that's we just recently invested in a real yeah. cat tower, but they made that cat tower and there's signs all over it. And that's one of their projects they made. And my house is always a disaster, but it's always a disaster of projects and things. They Actually, I just took down there behind the couch for a long time was this whole um Willa had set up some sort of like doctor's office and there was a check-in sheet and then there was all this stuff that she had taped to the wall and we're very we're very much kids live here so they tape stuff to the walls and they draw on the sidewalk and it's very yeah very lived in but we you know that's all the stuff that happens in those well and I I love free time I love that we're here down here doing this and she's upstairs and we haven't heard a peep from her no you know and I yeah. it, like it Actually, she's probably, she's sitting on her hands because she has a her keyboard set up. And so she, I was like, you can't play your keyboard while I'm doing this. So she's probably like, oh, like, I want to play my music. Yeah. So she's yeah. doing whatever she's doing upstairs, right. but she's good. But and, pr- that, and that probably sounds bad to people that I say, we haven't heard from her. Good. You yeah, know, no, that, no, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> what I'm saying is that it worries me that today's kids seem like they need constant oh, yeah. instruction of mom, what should I do next? Mom, right. what should I do? You know, and I just, I feel like when I was a kid and it sounds like you too, that I don't remember my mom being involved in a lot of my play. Like, I don't remember uh-huh. my mom playing board games with me. I don't remember her playing outside with me. Yeah. All those memories are with my neighborhood friends. Right. You know, that, yeah. Yeah. The, um, and the other thing with the independence, so when we go back to, going back to Jessica Leahy, who I mentioned, so one of the things, I love her book. It's so great. So one of my things is that I 
say that my kids are in charge of their own learning. And I'm an educator and I work in teacher education. So last year I would get a call from the math teacher, how's her homework like a home? And I would say, I don't know, it's her responsibility. So I don't look, I don't check her homework. And part of the reason why I do that, it's twofold, partly so that she learns the independence of maintaining her own homework. And the other part is that there is such, there can be such a disparity in the resources available at a kid's home that when you send home homework, I can absolutely sit down and help her with the homework because I am home in the evenings. I don't work a shift job. I can, you know, I'm educated and I understand it and I could help her through it. But I know that there are kids in her class who don't have that luxury. And so it would just be giving her yet another leg up and not, and not necessarily giving her a leg up, but it's just another way that other kids get left behind. So I don't help with homework. Nope. If you have it, You'll turn it in. Same thing. One of the things that um, Leahy talks about is not uh, checking the grade portals. Oh. I've never looked at the grade portal. I got the report card. I'm like... I don't even think I know my sign-in. Yeah. yeah. And and Ingrid's like, no. And Ingrid checks it all the time. But I'll be like, I just trust that you're going to tell me if you're having an issue. And, she, and then there was a situation where she had missed some homework or forgotten some homework. And I said, okay, what are you going to do about that? And so she decided that really the big binder was too much and that's why she was forgetting it. And so she found an unused clear folder and she took that and made that her homework folder and brought that home and then she said I really want some extra help with the math teacher and I was like okay talk to him so she went and talked to him and I at conferences actually it came up it's like yeah you know she'll come and schedule a meeting if she needs to I'm like yeah that's her job it's her responsibility that she and I get this and I got the sense and I'm not trying to like say I'm awesome or anything but I got the sense that it was unusual mm-hmm that I wasn't the one mm-hmm. organizing after school help and checking on her homework and calling about grades and doing all that. I'm just like, whatever, you know, whatever. It's your responsibility. If you want to, if your goal is to try to make the honor roll, you know what you need to do. Right. And I don't have anything to do with it. I will make sure that you are fed and clothed and housed and, <laughs> you know, and that you'll be there, but I don't have yeah. much to do beyond that. So. Well, and you and I both working in higher education <laughs> know what knows what we both know what happens to the kids who have been held hold handheld I can't talk <laughs> handheld all the way through school that they're the ones who call or email you and they've missed class and they say can you send me all the materials of what I missed today and you're like no no you have to get that from a friend you don't yeah you know, you, exactly you to find yeah. there's this great poem that I give to my students and it's um it's written by a Toronto poet and it's about did I what uh, did I miss anything? It's about the and I always teach my first year seminar oh. students. I'm like never, did I miss ever, anything? ever, yeah. like never say that. Like you will have to miss classes. I understand. We all have to miss things, but you will miss something when you miss it. Don't ever email. <laughs> did I miss anything? You can email and say what did I miss, or you can ask your your classmates what did I miss. Always assume you miss something, mm-hmm. and by saying did I miss anything, it makes it sound like so. I, I share this poem and I'll put it in the show notes but it's a great little poem that i used oh i'd love to, to be it. like it's it's lovely but i also you know years ago i would get calls in another office that i worked in parents would call and say i need to talk to their teacher and i'd say i'm sorry so you know you need to have a FERPA release well i'm paying okay but they're still they're 20 years old and this is really their responsibility mm-hmm. and my poor kids will they'll never you know they'll have they'll never see me on their campus like they'll drop them off and I'll drive away <laughs> and I'll pick them up at the end of the semester and say okay great but there you know and there's always if there is a, a medical emergency or there's some reason that you absolutely need to call the school to you know Sarah was in a car accident and broke all arms and legs and she will not be in class you can do that but I used to get calls she's not gonna be in class today why are you calling me? Right. You know, because obviously you didn't text Sarah first. No, you don't have to call in college. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I and I just see it in just sort of the the adjustment can be hard. The other thing that the adjustment can be hard for is uh, dorms. Most of the students come now having had their own bedroom, and so oh. then all of a sudden they have a roommate, and yeah. that is a huge adjustment for for kids, yeah. which is interesting. My kids have their own room, but honestly, half the time they end up sleeping in one room and mm-hmm. not the other one just together because they hang out and read stories but you know so I like to say that they they have their own rooms but one almost ends up being used as storage more than yeah sleeping I hadn't thought about that 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 must be a big adjustment for those kids oh yeah. And they, yeah everyone talks about like oh your mom's home cooked meals actually a lot of people love her like they always love the food like this is better than my mom's and it yeah. is really good food <laughs> so that can be one of them too but I I find that the adjustment of 
I'm hoping, you know, when people say, well, I know that you can do that. I know that you're okay with your child. And even even now in sixth grade, there's still some pushback that she can ride her bike around there. She's allowed to ride to most everyone's house, but we very rarely see other kids riding around to our house, maybe except for the neighbor across the street. Mm-hmm. But And maybe it's because people don't like our house. I don't know. But <laughs> I, it, it's one of those things that's interesting. It's like, yep, mm-hmm. anyone's welcome. Just got to get on your bike and go. But she has the... Because of that, she has the street savvy yes. built in after she's done it for so long. She knows how to watch for reverse light. She knows which corners are the bad, you know, not bad corners, but which ones you really have to pay attention to and which ones you can kind of slow down and look quickly. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's I think it's something that has to be encouraged. And I wish it was encouraged more so that it wasn't just one little third grader riding her bike down the mm-hmm. street looking yeah. for friends. Well, when it, when um, when I did the book Dinner with the Smileys, and for that, for my husband was deployed for a year, and each week that he was gone, we invited a new stranger to come and fill his seat at the dinner table. And at that time, the kids were, this is hard to believe, they were <laughs> 12, oh 9, God. and 5. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's crazy to think about now. Or were they 11, 8? and five. It was around then, you know, so they were still very little. Um, And people... It was pre-K, wasn't it? Well, Lyndall was pre-K, yeah. So that's four. Four, depending on his birthday. Right. And then Owen was in third and Ford was in fifth. Wow. When when he left. So, um, but people said, I can't believe that you're letting, like, you're having someone over to have dinner with your kids like as if that there was could a have been risk. human traffic right out of your kitchen. <laughs> no, no, more <laughs> that more that my kids were going to embarrass me. You know oh. that like that you know people would write me and they'd say, "Oh my gosh, I would never have people over to eat with my kids because they're so obnoxious or they you know they're messy or whatever." It's like people thought that this was some kind of Martha Stewart dinner when it really wasn't. Like someone ended up in timeout every single night that we had a guest over. In fact, the minister put the two two oldest boys in timeout <laughs> because they were fighting with each other. I mean, it was horrible. And and anyone who's read the book knows that Lyndall mooned one of our guests at the dinner table. I mean, bad things happened. Bad behavior happened at every dinner. Um, but things got better as the year went on. Like, I would say the first 12 dinners were kind of disaster. And then it slowly, it was like they figured out, oh, this is how we act when a guest is here. And we shake people's hands and we look them in the eye. So one thing people always comment about my older boys is that, not so much about Lindell yet because he's still little, but with my older boys, they always say, um, the teachers do, that they really appreciate that they look them in the eye when they talk to them. Because it's kind of common now for teenagers, like they look down at the ground or yep. at their feet, you know, when they're talking to an adult. And, um, and I really credit that year to, it taught them, you look you look them in the face when you, and you ask questions and you ask thoughtful questions and they might ask you questions and you answer them. And, um, I really watched their behavior just become so much better throughout the year through practice, you know? And I feel like that we do so much of sheltering our children away out of a desire to be perfect. Like, I don't want people to see how my kids misbehave. I don't want them to see that I'm feeding them chicken nuggets when everybody else is eating broccoli, you know? (laughs) Like, like all these things we don't want people to know about us. So we say, I'm just going to hide all that and pretend like it's perfect. And And Instagram the good stuff. Yeah, post my Instagram (laughs) perfect photos. And then no one will ever know about all this stuff. And then my kids will be perfect when they leave the home, you know? And that's like, that's the way people want it to work. But I, that year taught me that it takes practice for kids to learn how to be the, the adults we want them to be. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in that process, people coming into our home during that year, they saw bad behavior and they saw, you know, one of them eating waffles when the rest of us were eating a regular <laughs> dinner because he refused to eat what we were eating, you know? And, and sometimes I was embarrassed. Sometimes I was horrified. But I feel like through that experience, they learned and they grew and they, they got the skills that they need to interact with other people. Um, and that, and I feel like that so much, and you were mentioning how I said, sure, bring the kids, you know, and that was I aware that I remember (laughs) what it's like to have little kids. Um, and I, I feel like that I'm, I'm more apt to say that now after that year, because before that year, I always, it was always like mom's night, you know, which is still important. I love having mom's night, but I feel like we, as a society of moms in the Instagram era, in the perfection era, we do a lot of put the kids away, send them to a babysitter, send them yeah. off, 
so that we can have like the real meal in the real time. Right. And sometimes we need to have the kids thrown in so yeah. that they they learn those skills of interacting. Yeah, definitely. Is that weird? <laughs> no, that's not weird. That's totally fine. The um, well, looking in the eye, one of the things I think comes from this independence is that when open house happened, that's how Ingrid was really good about. It. She like. You know, I I stood back. I'm not going to go in and say, hi, this is Ingrid. I was like, no, you have to introduce yourself. Mm-hmm. And so she did. It's like, hi, I'm Ingrid. I have you for science or whatever. And I think that that makes a difference, too. So I'm always, I'm at the point, especially with her, where I'm just going to stand back and I am here. And this is, you know, she's the one who's going to be talking to you. So she's mm-hmm. the one that's going to ask the questions. If you have any questions about it for us, we're back here. But yeah. it's this is her scene, not ours. And I think that it's important to make sure that you consider that now one thing i haven't been prepared for though so as much as i've been you know trying to get them independent and do their own thing and make their own fun um now that my oldest is 17 (laughs) he has dropped the bomb lately of i don't need you to do that anymore mom (laughs) and just the other day it was before his 17th birthday he said i don't need you for that anymore mom and i can't remember what it was i was like maybe i was making his lunch or something um and I and then later in another couple of weeks later, we were talking about college and I said, you'll want a car because, you know, if you get sick and you need me or and I can't get to you, you might want to come home or whatever. And he said, I don't need you when I'm sick. I can take care of myself. And it's <laughs> like little pieces of my heart breaking. I'm like, what? And um, later when Dustin and I were alone, I was like, I'm dying inside. Like, I he doesn't need me anymore when he has a fever. He doesn't need me like for this or that. And Dustin said, that's good. Yay. You know, yeah. we've, we've done what we need to do. Um, but it's hard. Like when you start to see that, that shift happening of that, he does, he just, you know, and he's always taking care of his own grades and his own school. So one day um, he said it again about something. He said, I don't need you to do that anymore, mom. And I was like, okay, forward. You're breaking my heart. You know, when I told him, I said, I said, I understand and I admire how self-sufficient you are with everything. I said, but I, I need to make sure that you know that no matter what, I'm always here. Like you're like you were yeah. saying, I'm, I'm back here letting you do your thing. But I hope that you always know that if you ever need anything, no matter what, no matter your age, I'm here. You know, yeah. and I understand you can do these things. You don't need me anymore. But I am here if you need me. And he said. I, and then I jokingly said to lighten the mood because I tend to do that sometimes. I said, I said, until I'm old and gray and I can't really help you anymore. And he said, well, then that's when I'll be there for you. Oh, God. I know. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's so nice. Yeah. Well, it's it's um one of the things that I really one of the my I don't know. It's not a it's not a pet peeve. It's just something that I cringe when I hear it is when people say, Oh, stop growing. I wish they would just stop growing. I wish they would just stop growing. And I might have even mentioned on the podcast before, but it's one of those phrases that I will stop people and I will say, no, keep growing. You don't want them to stay six forever. I promise you, you don't. There are Mm -hmm. families who have children who have stayed six forever. You want them to grow. It is our job to turn them into adults. So I tell that to my kids all the time. I'm like, I'm trying to raise you to be an adult. I'm not trying to raise you to be a dependent seven-year-old for your whole life. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you have to do this responsibility. Yes, you, you're in charge of this. This is what you have to do. You have to learn how to be independent. My job is to make you independent. And it's the biggest conundrum or the big, you know, of having a, having a baby is that you spend the rest of your life nudging them away from you. Yeah, I know. You know, and so you, and you're only successful if you do, mm-hmm. really. So... Mm-hmm. So I, so I never, so I really cringe at that because it is our job. So now you're at that age where you're seeing the fruits of your labor that you've, you're doing it and you have mm-hmm. raised an independent, like kind, wonderful adult, yeah. almost adult, not yeah, a full not adult. Yet. I got one more year. <laughs> one more year. And then, and then he's a, then he's a full adult, but he's, and you know, obviously just a good person and all that. So, and you got two more to, to get there. Yeah, right. Yeah. But so. I, I think that too, when, especially when, when you know moms who have lost children mm-hmm. or whose children are sick. Or, you know, I, I grew up with my mom's friend when I was growing up. So then I grew up with their son also. He had muscular dystrophy and he died when we were 32, I think. Um, but, you know, I mean, he, he never got to leave home and he yeah. never got to ride the bus to school. But they didn't have like full inclusion like that, right. you know. Um, actually, she she was incredible because she she wanted him to be in the regular school no matter what, even though I mean, it was a different time, you know, yeah. the 80s. Um so she had outfitted her van and everything where when she took him in his wheelchair and she would take him to school herself because they didn't have an option to get him there. 
And she would sit outside in the parking lot for six hours in case he needed anything because the school wasn't oh, wow. equipped to, like, help him, you know? Um, and so when I was a kid, if I ever, like, a friend hurt my feelings, or all through <laughs> school, like, no matter what, like, if I was in second grade and I missed my mom, or if I was in high school and a friend hurt my feelings and I was weepy, I would go out in the parking lot and I would find Mrs. Taste's van. I knew she'd be there. And I'd go sit in the van with her and talk. Oh, talk about, like, you know, like, today, if that happened, people would be calling the police, a kid's getting when in somebody's I was, van. When I was in elementary <laughs> school, we had open lunch. And so there were walkers for lunch. So kids would walk home for lunch. And I would... And then there was a little diner across the baseball field. And then once you got to third grade, you were allowed to go oh. to the diner. <laughs> and I remember, like, the, it was, like, a big deal to go. It was called the Lazy H. And we would get like five dollars and we were allowed to walk in third grade we would walk and you had to cross one busy street and then the diner sat on route one which is a really busy road and we would cross and walk over and sit and and sit and have lunch and then walk back or we'd go up i remember going up to another friend's house and we would make um uh those pillsbury cinnamon rolls Mm -hmm. we'd make those for lunch so we had enough time for lunch to go to walk home up the hill over to her house Preheat the oven, pop mm-hmm. the can of biscuits, make mm-hmm. and eat all of the rolls, and walk back and be back in time for recess. <laughs> like, it was like this. And now I think about it, and I'm like, like, can you imagine being like, mm-hmm. okay, kids, you can go to Fairmount Market for lunch. You're in third grade now. I know. See you later. <laughs> so that I think about that in my own my own you know childhood and how things have changed. And now it just doesn't that doesn't happen at all. Mm-mm. So do you have a favorite thing? My favorite thing, unfortunately, and I'm trying to break myself of it, okay. um, but it's not going very well, is I love Tim Horton's <laughs> large, unsweet iced tea. Like, I literally... How do you want it? Well, it's unsweetened. It's unsweetened, yeah, but it's so much caffeine, probably. Oh. I have never looked it up, but I'm starting to think <laughs> that it's a lot of caffeine, because I was having trouble sleeping. And, um, and But I've done that for years. I've gotten that Tim Horton's large, unsweet black iced tea. And... Um, I look forward to it. Like, I wake up in the morning, and literally, like, if I'm opening up my eyes and thinking, oh, today's going to be really bad, I'm like, but I get to go get my tea. Has this replaced your... Because you used to be Dr. Pepper, right? I used to be Diet Dr. Pepper, yep. And so has this replaced that? Yes. Like, five years ago, I quit drinking Diet Dr. Pepper, and I replaced it with tea. Well, there you go. Which was better. It has, like, health benefits, I think. Right. Well, actually, what I was going (laughs) to say about the Diet Dr. Pepper is that... I did that for so long, and when Ford was a toddler and Owen was a baby, so still in a car seat, uh, so Ford was probably like three three and four, I used to give Ford cash. When you were talking about giving money, you know, to go to the store, I would give Ford cash, and I would have him go into the gas station and buy me a Diet Dr. Pepper so that I wouldn't have to leave Owen in the car. And (laughs) I would watch through the window, and I would just die laughing, because he, just a little tiny kid couldn't see over the counter, and he would give them their cash. But even that, I felt like, was good practice of, like, you know, here's how you do it. You go in there, you wait. But also, it was also the era of... You were afraid to leave the baby in the car seat because, yep. and you, and now I'm going to take a guess here. You were probably not afraid, afraid that they were going to be get kidnapped. You were afraid of somebody calling the police on you yep. for abandoning your baby. Yes. Yeah. Also, it was Florida, so it'd be really hot. But, yeah. but I mean, nothing's going to happen in the heat just to run in and get a Diet Dr. Pepper and come back out. Right. You know, but right. yeah. So mine is going to be similar. So mine is, so maybe this will help you cut back on the caffeine is um, Polar Seltzer. Oh. And Polar Seltzer is made in Massachusetts and they have seasonal limited flavors and I am like crazy person when the new limiteds come out I follow their Instagram <laughs> I have favorites right now it's the ginger lime mule and it's natural flavorings and it's just carbonated water with flavorings and it is so good and I drink at least a liter a day sometimes more I drink a liter through the day at work and I usually drink a glass or two in the evening when I come home and there's no caffeine there's no anything but it's bubbly and fizzy and the limited flavors cranberry cider is another one that's great is it kind of sour no i don't find it sour i find it like just enough flavor and bubbliness to totally make me happy and there was one time when i was kind of feeling crummy and dave was like let me i'm like you know if you're going to the he went to rite aid and i was like can you grab me some seltzer and he was like sure so he came back he did not bring polar seltzer (laughs) he brought this crummy rite aid brand seltzer that was I call it Splenda water because it's like sucralose and, et, you know, all yeah. these like chemicals and stuff, whereas literally it's just, you know, flavor and water and mm-hmm. polar. And I literally got up off the couch and I drove back to Rite Aid and I walked in and I told him, I'm like, I told him to get me 
polar <laughs> seltzer. And she was a polar seltzer drinker, too. And she was like, oh, yeah, this is not polar. I was like, no, I need to return this and exchange it. <laughs> and, like, he was like, why are you going to the trouble of exchanging this, like, $2 worth of yeah. soda? And I was like, because it's not polar seltzer. So I love the polar seltzer seasonal mm. flavors. And they're just, it, you know... It, it just is delicious and flavorful and lovely. So that is my favorite thing. So I want to thank you so much Thanks for, for coming me. on our podcast. And you can find Sarah's books and things on Amazon. You can find her website is sarahsmiley.com. And her column is printed in newspapers all around the world, really, right? With the military thing? or is Well, it- country. The country. So, and she writes, and so whenever you're, whenever you see her neighborhood stories, you can know that it's also my neighborhood, which mm-hmm. is why I love them in particular. I remember when I first actually put together that you were writing about my neighborhood, yeah. and I was like, wait a minute, I think she lives around here, and I like, I didn't totally stalk, but I finally like figured out, like I was like, oh wait, I know where she's going to that school. She must be around here somewhere, and I finally figured out, and I was like. I know where she lives now. <laughs> I know exactly what roads your kids are playing in. I will slow down. So <laughs> it worked out. So thank you very much for coming. Thank so you. you can also find Balancing Chaos, the podcast on Facebook and Twitter. And you can email us at balancingchaospodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or suggestions. So thank you. Bye. Thanks.